from the book of Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 6. That will be my text. I also will read from Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 6. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? And he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Palm Sunday marked the occasion of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Meek and lowly, riding upon a donkey, the foal of an ass, to fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament prophet Zechariah in chapter 9 and verse 9. Great crowds lined the streets, and as they shouted, Hosanna, thou son of David, Hosanna in the highest, they waved palm branches. All of this initiated the events of what has since then been called Passion Week, which may not be so significant, but nevertheless, in a matter of days, many of these same people would join in as multitudes did not praise him, but cried out, crucify him, crucify him. But it was an impressive thing to watch this processional. Last year on Palm Sunday, we were privileged, a group of people from our church, to be in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And we watched the thousands of people in that traditional processional winding their way down that narrow road from the Mount of Olives and through the valley and up the hill and into the gate and into the old city of Jerusalem to the temple site. And it was an impressive thing and we couldn't help but wonder how it would have been like to have been there almost 2,000 years ago when the crowds were waving their palm branches and singing and chanting, Hosanna! In the highest, Hosanna to the son of David. And then just a matter of hours later, the cry would change. Crucify him! Crucify him! Isaiah spoke in the 53rd chapter in verse 1 of an unbelievable report. For he chose these words when he said, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He was astounded when he, with his prophetic vision, looked down the corridor of, the t of time and saw, hanging on a cross, the man who was to become the Messiah. Isaiah said, they won't believe me. I'm going to write it anyway. I'm going to prophesy of his wounds. But who will believe me? Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The unbelievable fact 
Could anybody even imagine that God would permit this to happen? We've all believed that Messiah was coming, but nobody's thought about him dying. Nobody's thought about a crucifixion. No one has thought about his wounds. When I start telling about that, nobody will believe me. Well, they'll say even God would not permit that to happen. But we know God not only permitted it to happen, God willed it to happen. It's all wrapped up in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Beloved, God not only permitted it to happen, God willed that it happen. Would even Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, would he agree to be subjected to such humility? Would he agree to such shameful death as crucifixion? Well, the answer to that is found in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things he suffered. And being made perfect, became the author of eternal salvation. Yes, Jesus not only would be willing to go, he would walk in determined, willful action. With this in mind, he said, Father, for this purpose was the Son of Man manifested. And he walked to the cross, never willing to deviate from the avowed purpose that God sent him for in this world. You know, when he prayed in the garden, I've heard preachers wax eloquently about Jesus being human, and he didn't want to suffer, that he was a physical man just like anyone else, and he wouldn't enjoy those wounds. He wouldn't like to be beaten and crucified. And so he was asking Jesus, asking the Father to remove the cup of suffering. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't believe Jesus was any more afraid to die than many other men who've died a martyr's death. Many men have gone to a martyr's death without any request whatsoever to be uh, denied that. They have willingly died for what they believe. Many communists will die for what they believe without ever crying out against it. And Jesus was more of a man than any man that ever lived on the face of this earth. I believe that he saw in that cup something worse than human suffering. I believe he saw the filthy drags of all the sins of the universe. Every sin that has ever been and ever will be committed in that cup that he had to drink and take it into his body. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. That's what he wanted to be relieved of. That's what he could not stand, taking sin into his being, taking our sins, not his. He never committed a sin, but he took our sins. Yes, he submitted himself. When Isaiah said, Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who will ever accept this unbelievable prophecy that I'm about to give? Not even the angels would believe this. For would they stand by and watch God's only begotten Son die on the cross? There's not an angel in heaven that wouldn't rush to his rescue. There's not an angel in all of heaven that would stand by and watch a Roman soldier thrust a spear into the bosom of the Son of God. Not an angel that would watch men spit on him and curse him and put that crown of thorns on him. The angels would not permit this. Isaiah was in a quandary when he gave this prophecy. Who will believe this unbelievable report? Could the angels, when Jesus was approaching his death, 
In Matthew 26, verse 53, he said, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to the Father, and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? Brother, Jesus knew the angels would not stand by. All he had to do was speak the word. All he had to do was pray a simple prayer. He said, I can now pray. It isn't too late. And presently, that's immediately. I don't know how long it takes an angel to get from heaven to earth. I know it's a long ways from the throne of God down here to the earth. And angels are not as, super, are, are not as powerful and omnipresent as God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Angels are not omnipresent. They're limited to wherever they may be. And so he said, I can now pray and my Father will presently. That means in time enough to keep this thing from being pulled off. They were already there. Now a legion is 6,000. A Roman legion was 6,000. And Jesus said, I can right now pray to my Father and he'll give me 12 legions of angels. In other words, they were standing in the wings of Calvary. 72,000 angels. They already had gotten wind of what was taking place. It was already revealed. And they were there. And all Jesus had to do was utter a short prayer. And 72,000 angels would have leaped to his rescue. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 37 and verse 36, one angel slew 185,000 men in one night. Now, 72,000 angels taking 185,000 on at a time could have slain more than 13 billion people on that occasion, more than four times the population of the earth at that time. He said, I can now pray to my Father and he'll send me 72,000 angels. I don't know where the songwriter got the exact words he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have called 72,000 angels. But he did not do it. No, the angels would never have agreed to this spectacle. They would never have agreed to this. They were standing there waiting for the bidding of Jesus, just waiting for the invitation. And they would have rushed to his rescue. I like what I see in that. In the text that I read from Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 6, what are these wounds? The prophecy speaking for the Messiah included the answer of the Messiah. These with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. These with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. I don't know how accurate this might be today, but I've read many accounts of the sufferings of Jesus and the wounds that were inflicted in his body. And I've chosen to use four descriptive terms of the wounds of Jesus that others have commented on, that of concussion, that of laceration, of perforation, and that of incision. Concussion is brought about by pressure on the internal system, such as a blow 
or it can even be brought on from internal pressure to the head or to the body. Jesus was smitten on the head with a reed to fulfill Micah chapter 5 and verse 1. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. Matthew 14 verse 65 some began to spit upon him and to cover his face and to buffet him. The servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. Matthew 27, verse 30. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. Yes, Jesus knew what it was to be beaten. He knew what it was to be smitten with the force and strength of those who hated him with a passion. But he was wounded for our transgressions. The second description of his wounds is laceration, which means a cut or a torn place, to cut or to tear the flesh. When Jesus was scourged, it fulfilled a prophecy found in Psalms chapter 35 and verse 15. They did tear me. They did tear me. The Jews believed in 40 stripes save one. They were allowed to give 40 stripes, but just to keep their reputation for being merciful, they always spared a man one stripe. They were allowed to give him 40 stripes, but they didn't do that. They always had this saying, 40 stripes save one, so they would give a man 39 stripes. But I remind you, Jesus was not beaten by a Jewish man. Jesus was beaten by a Roman soldier who didn't know the bounds of mercy, who cared nothing for Jewish law, only fulfilling his beast-like desires to inflict torture on his victim. And with something similar to what you've read of, described as the cat of nine tails, the handle with leather tongs, many leather tongs, and at the end of each leash affixed a piece of bone or metal, and with all the might and strength in his body, bringing it down, and each leash and each piece of bone and metal ripping flesh from his victim. And Jesus felt those stripes being brought down upon his body where he was wounded in the house of his friend. Sometimes these long leashes on this whip would wrap around his back, the back of the victim and under the underside. His hands were tied and the leashes would go around and rip the stomach and even disembowel the victim. Yes, Jesus endured a horrible suffering and wound at the hand of the soldier who was beating him. I don't know that it stopped at 39. I don't know that it stopped at 40. I remind you a Roman was in charge here. I remind you the Jews had little authority in this matter. They requested his crucifixion, but they could not carry it out. The Romans must do this. And so they could do whatever they wanted to do. They could have beat him with a hundred stripes. All that I know is this. Every time one of those stripes came down on his back, he purchased for us redemption, including healing for our bodies. Praise God. Psalms 
129 and verse 3 says, The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their, their furrows. In other words, to emphasize the degree of this beating, it is as if they extended it beyond the accustomed for to save one. They made long their furrows. They plowed upon my back. His back was beaten that it was not even recognized as human flesh. Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 6 says, I gave my back to the smiters. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. As a further indignity against Jesus, they walked up and plucked out his beard. I had once preached this, and a lady called me about it and said, I don't believe that's in the Bible. I quoted to her Isaiah chapter 15, verse 6, the prophecy, where he says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. Yes, I believe they pulled out his beard, which was a painful old ordeal, as well as being shameful. The third type of wounds that Jesus had inflicted upon him was perforation, which is merely your body being punctured by some instruments. He was crowned with a crown of thorns. It was done in mockery in, in order to shame him and ridicule him. But it was also done to torture him. It was wounds being inflicted upon him. Some believe that those thorns being woven into a wreath were an inch and a quarter to three inches long. And they made a, a wreath out of them and pushed it down into his skull, raking the skull bones. And pushing that into his head, he suffered those wounds for us. They put a reed in his right hand to mock him as being the king of the Jews. If you're a king, you must have a crown. If you're a king, you must have a scepter. Use this crown of thorns for your crown. Use this reed for your scepter. And then they put upon him a scarlet robe to further mock him. They bowed the knee and they said, Hail, king of the Jews! Hail, king of the Jews! There's much mockery going on in religion today where people recite cliches and phrases. There is no act of worship. There is no intent to honor God. People use God's name and blasphemy and God's name and all kind of trite expressions with no intent whatsoever to honor Him, but they're mocking Him. They pierced His hands and His feet. Psalms 22 and verse 6. Many have never found in the Bible where they put the, the nails in his feet because Jesus showed them his hands where the nails were. Well, the prophecy in the Messianic Psalm of Psalms 22 and verse 6 says they pierced his hands and his feet. Actually, Jesus was wounded in seven parts of his body. His head, his two hands, his two feet, and his side. And as he endured these sufferings and the agony being inflicted upon him, it was not for any sin that he had done, but for our sins. Psalms 22 and verse 17 tells us, there were no bones broken. 
I may tell all of my bones. Psalms 34 and verse 20. He keepeth all his bones and not one of them is broken. It could not be that one prophecy could be violated. It had to be done exactly the way the prophets had had it revealed unto them. This next description of the wounds of Jesus is incision, which means more than just puncture. It means to slice or to cut with a sharp instrument. John chapter 19 and verse 34 says, But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith there came out blood and water. Yes, Jesus endured this agony to let every drop of blood ooze out of his body for our sake. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 2 says, There is no beauty. There's nothing beautiful about that. You know, we've tried to make something beautiful out of the cross. And we love that cross. We love it not because of its beauty. It's an ugly scene. The cross is not beautiful. But we've made beautiful ornaments, medallions and necklaces and trinkets. And we adorn church spires and we put them on church folders. And we have it here, you know, so I'm not saying that we're not guilty. But we've made the cross beautiful. In reality, the cross is not beautiful. The cross is ugly. The cross is gory. It's bloody. It's painful. It's shameful. It's degrading. It was the most degrading way that a person could die. This death by crucifixion was reserved for the worst. Jesus was a handsome man. I believe it was a specimen of manhood and health. I don't, do not believe he was a pale, sickly, feminine-looking person. But the Bible says his visage, this is in Isaiah 52, verse 14, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. There has never been a human body so tortured and so mutilated like that of Jesus Christ. Never so totally devastated as the scene that was there on Mount Calvary. When we think of it, we somehow bypass much of that agony. But Isaiah 53 verse 2 says, He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Verse 3 says, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. We turned our head. Another part of verse 3 says he's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid our faces from him. He is despised, and we esteemed him not. Verse 4, surely he hath borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. This beautiful scripture is on the cassette tape. 
that I have recorded one hour of healing scriptures, all precious promises of divine healing and deliverance in God's Word. Last Friday, I was very sick. I was so sick that I stayed in bed from 9 o'clock in the morning until about 6 o'clock the next morning. And all day, I refused to watch any television or read any kind of material that was not spiritual. I was not going to give the devil any satisfaction of laying me up and, and making me idle time away that way. I, I didn't feel like watching anything or listening to anybody. Garrett called about some problem. I said, tell him that I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Find a solution. He's a co-pastor. <laughs> Somebody would call from the church wanting to know what to do. I said, just let them figure out what to do. Don't bother me with it. <laughs> I said, have Gary, we had mailed my mother or my wife's mother the tape that I had at home. I said, have Gary bring me one of the cassette tapes with the healing scriptures on it. And when he came home from the office, he came by the house. And then I had a couple of people come by and pray for me, Brother Donnie Devereaux and also uh, Don Lott came by and prayed with me. And I played that scripture for one solid hour, nothing but the word of God, promises of divine healing. And when it came to this place, by his stripes, we are healed. It just seemed like it did something special for me. I dropped off to sleep. I didn't hear the rest of it. The tape kept going, but I, I just went off to sleep. And while I was still sick most of the night, the next morning I got up, my wife wouldn't let me go hunting. But I came down to the church. I said, I'll just go sit in the chair and tell them what to do when they're painting the building. And so I, I felt good. I ate breakfast. First, I'd ate, eaten in over 24 hours. And, and only four men showed up to help us paint. And so I, I started painting. I stopped long enough to attend a funeral. I came back, changed back into my work clothes, and we worked till 2.30. I've not felt weakness one time whatsoever. God totally and completely healed me. I lost five pounds, which I was glad for. But, but friends, this is a powerful scripture. Jesus was wounded for us. And with his stripes, we are healed. He didn't endure this just for naught. Jesus was not subjected to this humiliating circumstances just to make something interesting to write about and talk about and sing about and preach about. He did this for a purpose. And it's repeated in the New Testament. With his stripes we were healed. Looking back to Calvary. Verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her sharers is dumb, so opened he not his mouth. Verse 10 says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Psalms 22 and verse 6 says that Jesus was made a reproach. He was allowed to suffer as a worm and not a man. As a worm and not a man. 
They scoffed and scowled. He was stricken, smitten, and afflicted. Great sorrow pierced his heart. In addition to the nails, in addition to the thorns and the beating on his back, in addition to all the discomfort that he had already had, inside there was a broken heart. Many believe that Jesus died from a ruptured heart because of the increased agony of him drinking the bitter dregs of the cup of sin, of being wounded in the house of his friends. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. You say, that was a mean group of people who did that thing. My friends, every time you've ever committed a sin, you helped drive those nails into the hands of Jesus. He saw that you would do that. And so when he died, he died for your sins. It was not just the sins of the Romans or the Jews. It was my sins. I'm glad he died for my sins. I admit that I helped put him to death. I admit that I helped send him, send him to Calvary because if I don't admit that, I can't come under the umbrella of the atonement that he provided for us. Yes, he died for my sins. Great sorrow pierced his heart. The tongues of men wagged and they shook their heads. And the Bible says, and sitting down, they watched him there. They stared at him as vultures waiting for the prey to die. And they just stared him down, wagging their tongues and their heads. Psalms 22 verses 13 through 18 says, they gaped upon me with their mouths as a roaring and a rare... Raging, ravening and roaring lion, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint and my heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a postured and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death for dogs have compassed me about and the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon me. Easter season will take no more thought of Calvary and its significance than those people who took part in those terrible deeds. And as far as they're concerned, they were crucified to themselves afresh and anew, the Son of God. They will trample His blood under their feet and count the blood of His covenant an unholy thing. Their sin and their pleasure means more to them than giving their heart to the one who died for them. You say, preacher, I can't get saved today. I know you can't. I know that whatever's keeping you from getting saved is more important than Jesus' death. I know that pleasing a girlfriend or a boyfriend is more important than the crucifixion to you. I understand that. I understand what you're thinking. But I want to tell you, it's a crazy way of thinking. For you to say that I'm not going to give my heart to God, whatever it is that's keeping you from giving your heart to God, has become more important than the wounds where he was wounded in the house of his friend. For us as Christians, not to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him is to say that whatever it is that stands in our way of total commitment to Jesus is more important than his cross. But remember, he said, if you don't take your cross and follow me, 
you're not worthy of me. You can't be my disciple. I want us today to make a special commitment on this Palm Sunday. I'd like to see the unsaved give their heart to Jesus. I've asked Brother Eddington to sing for us a verse of a very wonderful song, I Remember Calvary. Would you just close your eyes as he does?